0: Hey guys, it's Alec, writer and voice actor of Elias Short, here to remind you to check the trigger warnings of today's episode. Have a safe listen. Myth Hill presents Cersei's Episode 1, The Musician's Curse. Is this turned on? Despite my protest, it seems you'll be stuck with me. Or should you be unfortunate, Cairo Timor, who I have the displeasure of working with on this task. I should edit that out. Um, I'm Elias Short, therapist in training. Matthew, disregarding my qualifications, has set me up to digitize the files of current patients at Sunshine Valley. I had been given a box containing case files that I will read and assess through my own knowledge, or that of the therapists connected to that patient. I took the first case file I got my hands on, which seems to be a session written by Amanda Olson. It contains the happenings of her husband's death back in September 2012. Case file 3111522-12, recorded on the 3rd of August, 2022, by Elias Emanuel Short, therapist in training at Sunshine Valley Mental Institution. No matter how hard I try, the words won't roll off my tongue. They stop by my room, pity running deep within them, but they try not to make it obvious. Their eyes never truly meet mine, and I am well aware that they think I've lost it. Just another loony for the loony bin. I don't know if I prefer them staring. It's not like that would make a difference. I can feel the knot in my chest, even as I try to write down my experience. But at least my mind is clearer like this than when their faces stare at me in expectation. Let me start out by introducing myself. My name is Amanda Olsen. I am, or rather was, married to Elliot Olson. My husband and I met back in 2010, when I had first turned 18 and he was just 19. It was almost like fate had casted us a line, as our odds of having met could have so easily been shattered. Had my friends not insisted on leaving the noise of the nightclub and going to the homey bar down the street, then I would have never seen him up on that stage, and he would have never bought me that drink which formed the future we created together. He was a daring man, even back then, pretty persistent and quite the charmer. I fell for him faster than I would have liked to admit. Dates turned to dating, and dating turned to marriage. We started living the life we had always dreamed of, the aspiring musician and his doting wife. My husband had a unique love for antique instruments, especially old pianos. Something about the feeling of the white keys against his fingers brought a calmness to him like no other. He had long waited to bring home a piano of his own, one that was truly his. The old brown piano he had acquired just five years earlier was worn and barely holding on by the hinges. We both knew that any day now, the old wood would give in and leave it a heaving pile of kindle on our living room floor. It was with a heavy heart my husband had to say goodbye to his old friend. Who had served him well for many years, but there was still only so much he could do with a hand-me-down piano. My husband did seem gloomier the weeks that passed, when his fingers could no longer dance freely over the keys when stress would wash over him. It wasn't long before he tried to pick off antiquing. After music, that became his biggest passion. He talked fondly of opening his own store with me, which only brought a smile to my face, which I hadn't let out since his fingers had last danced across our old piano. When his grandfather passed away from old age, and the sorrow of his death had passed, my husband found himself in possession of a house full of antiques. And I bet it won't come as a surprise that he eagerly went through it all, gathering more than enough to fill a whole store. So that's exactly what he did. He had acquired a loan from the bank and gotten himself a sweet little antique store at the corner of Olive Street. A wooden painted sign over the display window read, Olsen Antiques. (laughs) Creativity was never really his strong suit. A new chapter began in our lives as he first opened those doors to the public. My husband had returned to his chipper self once more. With the shop came a big financial difference. As much as I had worried about how our future would turn out after my husband had loaned such a notable amount from the bank, I was more than stoked to see the numbers he brought home. It turned out that Elliot had quite the knack for selling just about anything. In the summer of 2012, we moved into our dream house, a decent-sized home on the outskirts of Hillerup. Elliot and I had even started talking about having a kid of our own in the following year. It all seemed so perfect back then. I wish it could change what happened that autumn. Had I just smashed the stupid piano to pieces the second I saw it, none of this would have ever happened. He came home in August, a bright smile plastered on his face as he revealed to me that he had finally found the perfect new addition to the perfect house, an old wooden Francis Bacon piano, which was rumored to have been the very first model, built in around 1788, before the company had even been established. He had fallen head over heels in love with the wooden instrument, and made it clear that he would do just about anything to take ownership of this small piece of history. I didn't have it in me to deny him his biggest dream, after all, he had managed to work us out of our lower class lives and into the home of our dreams. I did have my worries about the price of such a piano. I knew my husband had done well for himself, yet I had my suspicion that it wouldn't be good enough to afford something as rare as a first edition. I was more than taken aback when he told me the owner was willing to sell him the piano for the price of £10,000. I know that sounds like a lot of money, but I looked it up online and pianos like that sell for over 20,000 pounds as a later generation, but he was talking about the first ever made Francis Bacon piano. Surely that couldn't be true. There was no way anyone would be daft enough to sell something as valuable as that for that price. I insisted that there must have been some kind of error, but he just shrugged and told me not to question it since we wouldn't have been able to afford it had it been at its actual value. I should have seen right through it back then. It's never a good sign when someone is willing to sell a -a one-of-a-kind object at such a low price. However, Elliot still went along with it, and just five days later we were 10,000 pounds poorer, but one antique richer. I still remember the first time my eyes fell upon it, the dark brown piano, being carefully hauled out of a moving van and into our living room. I remember the distinguished chill that ran down my spine. It was such a dreadful feeling, and deep down I knew that Elliot had made a gruesome mistake. But when I looked over at my husband, he didn't seem to share that feeling. He seemed almost in a trance, staring at the rough wooden surface, running his pale fingertips over the cold keys almost like he was trying to caress it. After he had been staring at it for a tat longer than I was comfortable with, I suggested we went out for dinner, as a way of celebrating my husband's deal of a lifetime. At first it didn't come as a surprise to see my husband by the keys any chance he got. It was, of course, understandable that he wanted to cherish a find as rare as this. About a week after we had gotten the thing, I found him in the living room one morning, way past the time he would normally be off work. His fingers were rapidly dancing over the keys, as if his life had depended on it. He jumped like a deer in headlights when I spoke up, almost as if he hadn't heard me walk in. He spoke dubiously as he explained how he had simply forgotten the time when he had sat down to practice this morning. He swore it hadn't been that long. However, as his eyes landed on the clock, I could see the confused look in his face, at how much time had actually passed. We both struck it off while he pried himself away from the piano. This was only the start of what was to come for my beloved Elliot. He seemed harder and harder to pry off the piano. He would stay up late in the night to satisfy the growing need inside him to play. However, he never played any of those songs he used to play for me. No, these songs were cold and unfamiliar. They sent chills down my spine, leaving me with an uncomfortable shiver. His fingers and their jagged movement had no lightness to them. The familiar dancing on the keys had been replaced with the sinister wish to dominate. Weeks later, it became almost impossible to drag him off it. The skin on his fingers was suddenly decorated with blisters, or even blood, fingerprints almost violently rubbed off them as had he dipped them in acid. I became frantic at him, begging him to please stop this nonsense. I didn't understand what had gotten into him. His hands no longer felt like his own when he touched me. When his fixated eyes were in mine, he spoke with a monotone voice, almost like he'd been held at gunpoint. He told me not to worry. He was only doing what he has been instructed to. I had to join him, spread the songs to please him. I never managed to pry out of Elliot who this man could be or why he hadn't been instructed to play for him, but none of that matters now. Sunday, the 16th of September, I woke up to the spine-chilling music. Only it sounded different. When I touched Elliot's side of the bed, I was met with a chilling coldness. He hadn't been laying beside me for a long time, if even at all i had swung my legs out of bed, surprised by the darkness which had overtaken the house. I fumbled in blindness to find a source of light, any at all. But the only light that caught my eye was the digital clock on the nightstand that read 9.30. The sun should have been up by now. What struck me even more in that moment was the acute sense of dread that filled me, tearing through my veins. I knew I didn't have long. I bet I almost tore the door off its hinges as I ran down the corridors, following that sickly music. My ears were hurting, and I knew the pain that would follow as I stood face to face with it, but I needed to see, I needed to know. The living room had been casted in the same darkness. It pressed on me, making me fumble for the light switch. I cringed at the contact with the cold liquid on it, which I hoped was just water or food residue of some kind. However, as the light flickered on, to my horror, I saw that the gooey liquid on the switch was blood. It hadn't dried up on the switch, but become an almost slime-like texture, with the same color as if it had been dried. Before panic could overtake me, I saw the trace of the liquid leading me to its source. My husband, my dear Elliot, blood dripping from the once-white keys, forming a horrid pool by his feet. As my own led me closer, I found that his fingertips were no longer visible. In their place were pale bones, nerves, flesh, and ounces of blood spread across the surface. He didn't scream, he just stared determinedly at nothing. I tried to pry his hands off the keys, pushing, pulling, kicking anything at all, but he was unmovable. I even attempted to slap or bite him, but nothing could bring him back or make him spare a case my way. A sound, almost like nails dragging across a chalkboard, could be heard as his bones started to give in beneath the pressure. In an agonizing speed, the bones got filed down against the keys, leaving a putrid smell of burning hair and rot. Hours went by, his fingers vanishing and spreading flesh across our floor. I tried to scream for help, ram down the front door, and even call for help, but whatever had him captured had made damn sure it wouldn't be disturbed as it finished the job. I remember every moment so vividly, the excruciating sound of his bones shattering and being filed down so there was nothing left, while I was forcefully locked in the room with him. With it. I was simply an unwilling prisoner trapped between the curse and its target. It seemed that even as my hands sought to cover my ears, in a damning attempt to drown out the noise, it drilled a hole through my skull where it would flow freely, not allowing me such a relief. I had to listen. I can't tell how long had passed by when his fingers had been left as dust on the floor and all the color on my husband's face seemed to fade with every second that passed. I felt ill. I had already emptied my gut more than once, and I knew that no matter how much I wished to, I simply didn't have any more in me. My rails and cries had long since been drowned out and replaced with my unsteady breaths, almost as if I had run out of tears to cry. I only broke my intense glare at the wooden pattern beneath me as I heard a sudden gulp, a sound that was filled with agonizing pain. It was a pain so strong, no scream would suffice it. I tore myself out of my misery and dragged my drained body towards him, his eyes landing on mine in pure terror. He had broken out of his daze, but why now? He wasn't yet close to his own demise, but still it let him see. It let him feel what it was doing to him. I thought he could finally break free and stop this insanity. It took me a while to realize that the only reason something had loosened its hold on him was to witness the horror that washed over him. Those impossible tears started to spill again, as I begged to whatever was looking down on us to please end this misery. Elliot sobbed forcefully, his eyes swelling up with tears which would hopefully blur his vision so he wouldn't have to see what was happening. His voice got choked up in his throat as he tried to speak. He tried to suppress his screams with every breath he took. He yelped and groaned, gathering his mind enough to painstakingly order for me to cut them off. I looked at him in confusion, or maybe not wanting to understand. Cut them off now! He screamed at me over and over with spit and blood flying through the air. I couldn't help but stagger backwards. I asked him what he meant by that. He forced through gritted teeth. The bolt cutters. Use them. Cut my hands off. I told him there was no bolt cutters in this room. However, when I looked away from him, I couldn't miss the gleam of the rusty old bolt cutters, staring me down, daring me to use them on the man I love. I protested, assuring him that in no way would I ever get that near him but he just begged. His eyes filled with agony and pain like no other. He didn't know how he had come to this conclusion, but he knew there was no other way out of it. I would have to do it, if not for myself, for my beloved Elliot. The bolt cutters didn't weigh as much as I expected them to, but I could still sense the dread coated over its surface. It knew exactly what pain it would bring upon me, let alone my Elliot. He praised me through tears, assuring me that everything would be okay, even though at that moment I believed that he needed the reassurance more than I did. Always the selfless one, that husband of mine. I placed the open blades against either side of what was left of his wrists. Choking down the panic, I knew I had to do this. I knew there was no other options. There was no chance of him surviving if I had let him stay by that piano. But with these, there was maybe the faintest chance of him staying by my side. I screamed and snapped the cutters shut. Cutting through his flesh, I vividly remembered the sickening sound of the cutters when it struck the bone, severing his nerves relentlessly, blood splattering against the wooden surface, while painting my clothes a crimson red. I had to close my eyes as I brutally hammered the cutters against his bone, which took more than five tries to cut in half. Eliot hung on by a thread. His eyes shut tightly in an attempt to not pass out as he bit through his bottom lip to keep back the screams. He didn't quite manage that, but I love him for trying. I felt my screams and wails echo in the tight space as the bowl cutters snapped and cut again and again against his other arm, until it finally went through. His hands fell off, landing on the keys with a thud and a clang. I'll never forget what I saw when I opened my eyes again. Elliot's severed hands laid limp against the blood-soaked keys, causing them to let out a gut-wrenching sound. Blood sprayed from the wounds, nerves and goo hanging down his wrists. His face had turned stark white, whether from blood loss or shock I can't tell you, but I imagine it was both. He tried to grab me, forgetting the bloody mess that had once been his lovely hands was no longer attached to him. In shock, I watched him fall to the floor as he let out a terrorizing wail, my eardrums screeching at the sound. I dropped to my knees, pulling his pale face to my lap, caressing it as cold sweat covered his almost-graying skin. He sobbed and shook, unable to speak except for the occasional cry of why, why me please why no matter how much pressure I seemed to put on his arms the blood never stopped flowing I screamed till my voice was nothing but a whisper but nobody heard me as I pressed his dying body against my thinning frame I don't remember exactly when he passed away but I remember when that sickly music began again It was taunting me. I didn't even look, but I knew that putrid thing had taken the flesh from his fingers and formed it into something new. A pair of new hands which now followed its game. I had hoped for death to take me, so I'd be with my love again in our musical coffin. Hoped it would soon be my turn to serve, but whatever had taken my Elliot never came for me. My vision was about to fade, I had almost no fight left in me. His death had taken everything away from me. I barely remember anything from the encounter with the police. I was so malnourished. I was left a shadow of the person I had been before, and that would even be a kindness towards my state. The police had taken me into custody after prying my decaying husband out of my arms. They told me we had been in there for two weeks. They suspected I'd killed him, you know which I suppose was what it looked like. But for some reason, they came to the conclusion that I wasn't fit enough to stand trial, let alone have killed him. So they locked me up in here, telling me the doctors would take care of everything, which I suppose they have. I just wish I could get Elliot's screams out of my head. I just want one night of restful sleep. Amanda Olsen was married to Elliot Olson who was found murdered in his home, where he and his wife had been locked in for two weeks. The police haven't had any suspect or motives for his murder, and they never did find a piano at the house as Amanda had claimed. I expect this to be a severe case of PTSD from watching her husband's murder. I will file it away without any further doing, other than having a firm talk with Amanda's therapist. Circe's is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. Today's episode featured Alexander Bauner as Elias Emanuel Short. Audio edited by Ez Sadi and Henry Johannesson. Manuscript edited by Talia Heulund and Rita Bauner. And written by Alexander F. Bauner. Hi, writer and voice actor Alec here with a bit of a special message after the first episode. This show has been in the works for about a year now, and it is quite wild watching it finally come true, and it wouldn't be possible if I didn't have my amazing team with me. But the biggest credit goes towards a person that I sadly can't thank myself, because he is no longer alive. But, I would not be able to produce this or even come up with these ideas if it hadn't been for my grandmother, who unfortunately passed away two years ago. She has always encouraged me to be who I am and show my true colors. She never doubted me, and I know that she would have been so proud to have seen this come true. And unfortunately, I cannot share this with her. But... I am happy that I can at least share it with you guys and my wonderful team that has been more than supportive going through all of this. So I am extremely thankful to my team and to all of you for listening. I cannot wait to bring you more amazing episodes and entertainment and have you along on this journey. So if you made it this far, thank you. (laughs) Hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.